0: Hello, guys. In this episode, we'd like to welcome Amanda Gornary. Amanda Gornary is an Ivy League educated nurse practitioner and entrepreneur. Amanda is the founder of The Resume Rx. She helps nursing professionals with career and resume strategies so that they can land the opportunities that leave them personally and professionally fulfilled. You can find Amanda at The Resume Rx on Instagram or check out her webpage, The Resume Rx. When applying to a job, the first thing the employer looks at is your resume. Make your resume stand out with the resume RX. And don't forget to use con at checkout C O N for
1: 20% off the template bundle and also the weekend resume makeover program. Let the show begin. Hey guys, welcome to the Couple Nurses Podcast with your hosts Peter Fenderum and myself, Matt Solarchik. This is a podcast where we tackle hot nursing topics one conversation at a time.
0: How are we doing today? I'm doing good. A little sunburn. I know you guys can't see if you're on audio, but my nose definitely looking red right from the sun today. But today I like to welcome Amanda Garnery, and I pronounced that correctly because we we're going over this before the show. So how's it going, Amanda?
2: Going great. Thanks for having me.
1: Can you give us a little background of you know how you became an NP and like just the background of you having nursing?
2: Sure. So I've been a nurse practitioner since 2011, and I actually um, I had a previous bachelor's degree in another field. So I studied Italian literature and violin before I decided to go into nursing. And when I was a senior in college doing my undergrad, I realized that I didn't necessarily want to Go into liberal arts as a profession and I had an opportunity to really think about what I wanted to do with my career and decided that I really wanted to be of service to others. I was interested in the medical profession. I come from a family of nurses and fortunately for me there were these programs, these master's entry programs that were designed for people just like me who had previous bachelor's degrees in other fields who wanted to ultimately become a nurse practitioner. So I knew from the day that I entered nursing school and actually from the day that I applied that the end goal was to be an NP. So um, I applied to a handful of these master's entry NP programs and I um, started in uh, 2008, I moved to a new state. It was a full time on campus, very intensive, program and when I first started I did a combined women's health and adult NP program so I've always been really passionate about reproductive health Um, so that was really my um, my goal when I entered school was to ultimately graduate and work in the women's health field and while that wasn't what I ultimately ended up doing um, I did graduate um, after three full-time years so I got my RN first while I was in that program. Worked as an RN while also getting my masters and my NP um, certification, and then it all kicked off after that.
0: Where did you work, work? Where did you work as an RN? And like, can you like go through us the process of like NP school? How was NP school? Was it competitive? Was, how difficult was it compared to like nursing school?
2: Sure. So it was all one program at one school. So when I applied, I I ended up going to Yale School of Nursing, which was very competitive and it was a combined program. So the first 18 months was essentially a condensed accelerated BSN because everybody in the program uh, had previous bachelor's degrees and we had the prerequisites. We had anatomy and physiology and statistics and all that. So it was essentially just doing a condensed 18 month RN program. And then we sat for our NCLEX. And uh, after that, I not everybody, uh, not everybody had to work, which is a little bit controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ended up working at a Planned Parenthood uh, because I was in a women's health program. It aligned with what I wanted to do as an NP. And I worked in uh, an outpatient surgery center, PACU, essentially. So because the program was full-time, uh, the whole program was, I really could only work part-time per diem hours as an RN while I was also doing the NP portion of the program. So that rolled one into the next. So as soon as we were done with the RN coursework and sat for our NCLEX, we were already enrolled in those master's level courses. And there were a handful of nurses who had previous RN experience who joined us at the start of that master's portion of the program but the majority of my class were all master's entry meaning we had gone through that same um, program of doing the RN portion first.
1: When you started or what made you like kind of get into this field like do you have that special story that some nurses share or was it more like you just kind of discovered your interest and your caring personality or whatever the case might be?
2: Uh, Yeah so I do have a little bit of a of a one moment when I figured it out. And I was a junior in college and I was studying abroad in Italy because part of my program was a language program. So I had always done everything kind of by the books. I've always been a very high achiever, a rule follower, you know, everything in sequence, everything i have supposed to do, I've, I've always done. So this was my first opportunity to really be outside of the norm and live in another country for six months and just totally be outside of my element. And it was the first time that I was able to really zoom out um, and look at my life from a different perspective. And it was during that time away, you know, living on my own in a foreign country that I realized that I had done everything up until that point based on what other people expected of me, not necessarily what I wanted to do. So that's when I really started thinking and imagining and dreaming. I had you know, more white space in my life at that point, I guess you could say, because the coursework during the study abroad uh, semester was definitely not as rigorous as the coursework that I had on campus in the States. So I had a lot of free time and, and time to really think and evaluate what I wanted with my life. And I had really been studying things that were hobbies and interests up until that point. I hadn't been studying anything that I thought was going to be a career or a vocation. So that was really when I was doing that soul searching of figuring out what to do. And I I remember thinking, well, if I could just do anything, what would it be? And I feel like we don't really ask ourselves that question too often in our lives. I think we could probably ask ask it more and be better off from it. Um, So that was really when I came to the realization that I had always been interested in the medical profession, but I had this mindset block that I wasn't good at science because I had a teacher who in high school had told me that I wasn't, or maybe they didn't even tell me, but my perception was that I was not good at science. It was the only class in school that I was not in the honors program for, and it just affected my mindset. So even though I was interested in the medical profession, I thought, well, can't do that because I'm not good at science. So I had to overcome that and basically take a chance and say, okay, if this is what I'm interested in, and these programs exist that appear to be for people like me, I guess I better apply and see what happens. And so that's what I did.
1: Great. I like how you kind of put that. And it's interesting because when we kind of go through school. No one ever tells us to ask those questions of like, how do you feel about this? You know, it's always about this is the right way to solve the problem. Th- these are the rules that you, have. You, you you should follow to solve that problem and obey the higher authority, right? In, in a way, in a nutshell, we never ask like, hey, how do you feel about this situation? And we never combine that soul searching, just like you say, to kind of maybe discover like what that path is for you or for anybody else.
0: And yeah, it's crazy how like a teacher could be so like mentally damaging too, like, you remember from high school that a teacher told you that you're not, you're not good at science. Like, and that has been carrying over with you, like, your whole life. So, I understand that you're an NP in an the ER. What made you choose ER? Do you like the fast-paced, like, environment? Because, man and myself, we do ICU, and there's always that ER versus ICU, like, dilemma. <laughs> yes. And I've all, like, I have respect for ER. Like, I thought about doing ER. ER is, ER is cool, but there's always been an issue between ICU and, and ER. What made you, like, choose the ER route for NP?
2: Yeah, so I, I kind of fell into it, to be totally honest. I was working in the outpatient setting. I My first job was in college health. I worked there for a year and ultimately left because I felt like my patients were a little bit too healthy. I wasn't really learning too much or learning enough, I guess. Um, and I was working in an outpatient practice, and while I was working there, I um, started to get really serious about paying down my student loans. So Yale was great. I got a great education, uh, but it cost me, you know, a house. Basically, it cost me 130 grand. Um, So I was really wanting to pick up the speed paying things off. So I said, well, might as well get a second job. And the doctor that I worked for in the outpatient practice was friends with the director of the ER for the network that I worked for. And so one thing that led to another, they introduced me to him and ultimately I picked up um, a part-time job just on the weekends, picking up some extra money so I could pay off the student loans. And it was a tremendously supportive physician group. We covered five different hospitals and they took me under their wing and trained me on the job. So even though I had zero ER experience as a nurse or an NP, they were willing to train me, which was a tremendous gift so within about six months, I realized that I loved it a lot more than I loved the outpatient setting and I left that outpatient job and asked to go full time in the ER and they and they accepted me for that and um, yeah it's always it 's felt really comfortable for me, and I think part of it is because i 've always been such a rule follower perfectionist box ticker that In the ER, you never know what's going to come in the door, and that's really exciting to me, and that keeps me interested, and I'm always learning something new, and I love that critical thinking, Um, and the diagnosis part just really is, it really gets my brain going, so it keeps me mentally stimulated. And, it, you know, ER has its moments in terms of you really have to weed through a lot of healthy people to find the sick ones. You have to deal with a lot of personality conflicts and behavioral situations. But ultimately, you know, those instances that are truly life-saving moments are um, really unparalleled, I think, for me anyway.
1: So, so for example, we as nurses, if we have to get orders or anything, we kind of offload it to the doc or NP or PA in this case, what do you find very difficult about your job? If there is anything, is it the nurse NP relationship, or maybe it's the doctor and NP relationship where you're having more stress added on to your life?
2: Yeah, so I've. I've personally found that the nurse-NP relationship and the places that I've worked have um, gone very well. I am very respectful of the nurses who I work with and I think that mutual respect goes a long way. I've seen things done a little bit differently from the NP side where things haven't gone so well and I think it's a a power play, respect issue personally. Um, So that has been great. I think that the NP-physician relationship has been a bit challenging particularly in the ER setting because there's a lot of an an ER, a big ER typically has a lot of different providers. So you could be working any given day with someone who you haven't seen in a few months or maybe even someone you're working with for the first time. And as nurse practitioners, I feel like sometimes we have to, or oftentimes we have to earn our respect among our physician colleagues So that can be challenging to kind of work alongside a doc and figure out what his or her practice preferences are. And the fact that depending on the location, you know, we can practice pretty independently, but then once things get more critical, we usually involve the physician. So sometimes you can be kind of doing everything all on your own and have control over the situation. And then when you present the patient to the physician, because they have to get admitted or be transferred to the unit or the trauma bay or something, it can be um, difficult because all of a sudden you've packaged your patient up and you're ready to hand them off or, or get the input and the physician is, you know, oh, well, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Which is understandable because ultimately their name is on the case too. Um, but it can take a little bit of time of working with someone for them to figure out your style and ultimately know that you've done a good job up until that point.
0: Yeah. It's very similar to how like nurses and physicians have a relationship as well. I think it's, you got to kind of know, like you said, you kind of got to know each other in like a way and it takes time to like build a relationship. Well, we could shift years now. Um, I want to do one thing. Go ahead. So I love how there's always a doc in the ER
1: and the NP could kind of ask questions. One barrier that I had was we had NPs in the ICU at night. It was a smaller hospital and physicians always left at like, you know, 7 PM, 8 PM. And we had just the NPs. Sometimes, the MPs did not want to bother a doctor for things, or they didn't want to come and start a line. We had to kind of push things over sometimes to the morning, or there's no central line. We have to start pressers, and your shift could go either good or bad. It depends which NP was on call. You knew, you knew if there's this one NP, and you're just like, damn it, it's going to be a rough night, or I know I'm not going to get orders about this. So it's interesting how the dynamics could shift and how that relationship gets kind of curated, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, like on my unit, I know when I first started nursing, we did not have any coverage overnight because even though we're we at cardiac ICU, we're more of like a uh, heart failure unit, pretty specialized. So our heart failure doctors, they manage everybody. We have like two or three heart failure doctors that's manage the whole unit and they're very in-depth with, with, with like the patients. So they always want to get called. But the issue is like when we call emergencies, it would take them some time to call back, especially if it's like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning and we have no coverage, so a lot of times what we found ourselves is calling anesthesia and, you know, intubating patients just based on our decisions, and then kind of passing along to the physician when every call calls back, or if we need a line, we have to call a hospital from a different, different floor, and hopefully, like Matt said, depending on what kind of hospital this is on, sometimes they would put a line in, sometimes they wouldn't, because technically it's not their unit and not their patient population, so they'll be hesitant, obviously, you know, but they would help us out in emergencies, and they finally added NPs overnight, and that was like a lifesaver, you know? They might not have the best attitudes, the best personalities, but just the fact that there's somebody there that is that follows the cardiologist and that follows the heart failure doctors, it's just so much more reassuring on our care. Like Things get done more efficiently like, and more quickly and it's not just us making decisions as nurses because even though we are very educated and we, we know what to do with these patients, we still can't just like, do things ourselves. You know, We still need that order from, from the doctor. So it was right. really scary in the beginning, but right now it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty smooth. Yeah. So now I want to shift gears to why did you start the resume rx so anybody out there is listening right now or is going to be listening this is probably where you should turn up your volume just a few notches because everyone's going to need a resume in their life and so many times you're going to hear it
2: (laughs) that's true and that's that's part of why I have a successful business, to be honest with you. So it was, a, it was two years ago. I had recently gone part-time at work. I had twins, and um, twins are a lot of work. And so I wanted to go part-time. I paid off my loans finally, nice. and um, I was looking for something to fill the time. Uh, not that I was bored at home, but I was kind of looking for some opportunity to make a little money and to exercise my career muscle, but from home. So I had dabbled a little bit in some medical um, medical writing, freelance writing, and I was in a Facebook group one day, um, a nurse practitioner Facebook group, and I saw that someone had said, hey, I need help with my resume. Can anyone send me a screenshot? And I sent a screenshot of my resume, which, you know, I've kept up. Years, it's something that's always come very naturally to me, and I got a ton of great feedback. Wow, this is such a great resume! Where did you learn to do this? And um, so I helped that one person. And you know, when you see something and then you can't stop seeing it over and over, like you all of a sudden pay more attention. So every day that week, I would see another post in one of these Facebook groups for people looking for resume help, and that's when the idea hit me that you know, I could potentially this could be my business idea that I was searching for. Mm-hmm. So I um, I volunteered to help a few people in the Facebook group. I recruited some of my nurse friends and said, hey, let me redo your resume for you for free. Give me a testimonial. I wanted to make sure I could do it for other people, which I could. And so that's really how it started. So it started mostly through word of mouth and a couple Facebook groups. And, and as I started writing resumes for other people, I was doing different designs and I saved those designs with the intent early on of creating resume templates because I knew that I couldn't write everyone's resume for them. Uh, And and even if I could, there would be people who would want really just to, to solve the problem of having the prompts and having the layout, right? Like there were two problems to be solved. Someone who had no interest or time to do their resume whatsoever and was willing to pay a higher price for someone else to do it. And then the other problem of People who could put together, you know, the phrasing and the words, but they really just needed a template to follow. So, from the beginning, I kind of built out those two main avenues or those two main offerings of my business. Uh,
1: that's amazing how people have different hobbies. One of them is, you know, bike riding or longboarding, or they do maybe archery. I have no idea what our uh, podcast listeners do. And you, for instance, you know, you kind of found a pain point of somebody's, and you kind of just Worked around it, and uh, I think you're you only need to do three days a week, correct? Or d- did during this time three shifts?
2: Um, yeah, I was down to two. Yeah, I was twenty hours, so it was okay. two shifts a week.
1: And that's kind of awesome how you know you, you're able to be a mom and also you're able to work on something that you cherish, and like the way I kind of see it about growing a business or whatever my interest is, it's like a little baby, right? And you have to kind of nurture it and take care of it and keep putting time into it, and then over time, I don't have a kid person, right? But you just see this this um, business or, you know, whatever grow. And it's, it's cool. It's awesome.
2: Yeah. It's been, it's been really great because I have three kids now and, you know, three kids and a business. And the fact that I've been able to, you know, birth all of those kids, birth the business and grow all of them with some semblance of balance in my life has been, um, has been exactly what I wanted. You know, that's a struggle that a lot of women, a lot of moms go through, especially career women, is figuring out how to be the best at all the roles or at least how to not feel like they're failing in one of the roles. Uh, And it's something that not a lot of us talk about. Um, So I'm purposefully very, you know, open about that because I feel like if someone can hear me say it and say, oh gosh, that's exactly what I'm feeling, then I feel like that can help other women other parents who are also going through that
0: yeah how are you able to like manage all that time like do you like have your own schedule do you you use like an app you just remember how to do everything
2: (laughs) yeah so i um i use google calendar Mm -hmm. and my husband and i on the weekends like on sundays we have like a 30-minute scheduling meeting and we go through our meeting for the week and you know since since the pandemic my uh I don't have a babysitter and my school's, uh, my kid's school was canceled. So we really had to figure out where I was going to be getting my work time in. So a few mornings a week, I get up early. He does wake up with the kids and I work from six to nine in the morning. Um, I find that if I have two to three hours of focused time per day, that's all I need um, to work on the business. So as long as I schedule that in and, and get that time, then the rest of my time can be my parenting time and my other time. So that's really how uh, I make it work.
1: So so your husband is involved as well with everything that you're doing?
2: Yes. So he, you know, he takes over parenting responsibilities when I have business things. So for example, you know, we're recording this in the evening. So he is in charge of bedtime for all three kids so that I can come down and work. So I usually do interviews and videos and things around this time and he'll take over that. And then a few mornings a week he'll do uh, wake up with the kids breakfast while I'm downstairs working. So we, we've made it work. We had a, you know, it was different before, before the pandemic, but we've just kind of had to roll with the punches.
0: I'm gonna be a, a little nosy. So you said your kid's school got canceled. Did you have to homeschool or did they do zoom? And like, what's your opinion on that?
2: Yeah. So uh, I feel like I'm fortunate. My kids are, they just turned four. Okay, so they're they were in the three year old pre K class, and there is no sense of preschoolers learning remotely. Like it, my opinion and the evidence supports that there's just nothing learned when four year olds and three year olds learn virtually. So their preschool was just totally canceled starting in March. We didn't have to pay for the last quarter, um, and we just did kind of a home. Home routine, you know, they um, we have a few learning activities that they do. Fortunately, I've got two of you know twins that are the same age, so from a social perspective, they do a lot of playing. I'm a big proponent of play based learning at this age, so um, so yeah, I feel like I'm fortunate in that I haven't had to make that big decision of virtual versus in school, but I will say that my kids are enrolled in preschool starting in September, and their preschool has is converting to an outdoor forest school. So they will actually be outdoors for the majority of the day. And we've got a gear list of snow suits and rain suits and all this outdoor gear. So they're, um, they're really adapting in a way that feels comfortable to me. So I'm grateful for that too.
0: That's awesome. I know I never went to preschool. Did you go to preschool? I, I don't go to preschool because I, I tell myself that I was so intelligent as a kid that I I didn't need to go to preschool. <laughs> did you go to preschool? I did, man. You did? I, I remember because um I came from Poland.
1: So that day I went to preschool, I was holding on to my mom's damn leg, man. I was crying and teacher was pulling me and then I had to just you know make the leap and go to school. Preschool. So it sucked,
0: <laughs> man. Huh? Yeah, I don't know how that feels. I'm telling you, I was um, smart as a kid.
1: <laughs> jump jumping into like resumes, so like most of our listeners are either new grads or going into nursing or just took their NCLEX. What are like the biggest mistakes that you've noticed that like could sabotage your position into getting their first job? Or what are the most recommended tips you have for when it comes to starting a resume?
2: Yeah, definitely. So the the biggest one of the biggest mistakes I see is. Being too generic in the resume. So, either not personalizing it for the position that you're applying to. So, making one resume, having it be very basic and generic, one cover letter that doesn't say anything specific, and just sending that out to all the jobs. Um, so, that can be a bit of a problem uh, in that the employers want to feel like you have chosen to apply to them. You know, it's kind of like Dating. If you were dating online and you were to send everybody the same message, not even reference their name, you know, you can you can pick up when you're getting a mass message mm-hmm. of of some sorts, and and people on the receiving end they don't like that. Like we like to feel um, like attention is being paid to us, and that travels into the workplace as well. So that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see. And along those same lines, when it comes to Writing about the experience that you do have, being too generic about that too. So, just kind of regurgitating the things of the nursing process that you learned can make for a pretty boring resume. Whereas, I would rather you feature some sort of non healthcare or non nursing related experience that really tells a story about who you are as opposed to just regurgitating the nursing process that you learned in your clinical rotations.
0: So I should definitely include that I'm a podcast host on my resume. That's what you're saying? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Why not?
0: I'm going to update it.
1: <laughs> Even for travel nursing, you know, yeah. um, but maybe that's going to be an issue because then they're going to not want you to record or, you know, they could follow up about what you're saying. You better oh, say maybe. good things about the hospital.
2: Uh, well, yeah. It's definitely, a it's a fine line because especially if you have any sort of social media presence, you want to also, you know, say from the beginning that you understand that, Hospitals have social media policies, and yeah, you have to be a little bit careful when you have any sort of like online influence in your career role itself.
0: Yeah, because there's a few nurses at my hospital like I fired over like posting stuff on social media. Like I think um, like, there was a, a pediatric patient like like died, and the family was it wasn't really the patient was gonna die either way. It's not, it wasn't my patient, It wasn't like in my unit or anything, but it was in a children's hospital, and they like were able to find out that the nurse I was taking care of the patient was on Instagram or Facebook for x amount of minutes and then they're blaming like uh, that as why their, their child died but that wasn't really the case. Oh, wow. I'm not sure how the lawsuit went or, or what happened but she did ultimately get fired just because of they probably had no choice. So you got to be careful guys. We got to be careful.
1: We do. Mm. I think that's like I want to go back into the whole resume thing too but from like an entrepreneur standpoint for all the nurses listening, I think that's like the biggest hurdle for us is to kind of be brave and just understand, okay, there's HIPAA, right? There's because like when we started nursing, if it's it seems like everything has to be a secret. We cannot talk about work, what happens, what we do. And it's like it's almost like we're like going into an occult. And then it's okay to talk about things. It's okay to share stories. You know, there's there's nurses that are feeling burnt out, but they can't hear it because, you know, they can't relate and only from their like, you know, unit, let's just say. And we, you know, we need to keep speaking out just like with everything that we're experiencing with, um, I don't want to even say the C word because our episodes get like, uh, picked up on algorithm and like, deleted sometimes, but that kind of caused to burnout and, you know, they kind of just give us some pizza and everything was okay. And, you know, we're creating these platforms where we could share these things and potentially, you know, connect and change the, the future, just like establishing patient ratios mm-hmm. or like things like that.
0: Most definitely. Yeah. So Amanda, so, when you do have some time for yourself, when you are not busy with the family and with the business, what do you like doing on like your spare time?
2: So yeah, I don't get I don't get much of it these days, to be honest. Um, but I do like to get outdoors whenever I can. We live in a nice wooded. Kind of recreational area, so I do like to get outside and um, i 've got a peloton bike that I like to ride on, and I love to read and um, lately i've been getting into journaling and trying some meditation and doing some personal development activities. I feel like those activities get the biggest return on my time investment because mm-hmm. they make me feel better and when i 'm better and healthier and happier, I show up better in all the different roles that I have.
0: Yeah, for the resume may RX, um, like if nurses were were to come to you, is it better off for them to have like a standard based on like a resume and then they they send over to you and you edit it or you said you have a few templates, right? So how does that work? People just send you what they have and you kind of work with what you have or do you start from like scratch with them?
2: Yeah, so the templates actually Um, are completely hands-off from me. So you can go to my website, you can purchase the templates, decide which design you want to use, download it to your computer, and you've got the file, and it prompts you through every section. So it's completely do-it-yourself. So those are probably my most popular offer. I do have a training program that's self-study if you need a little bit more in-depth training on how to write each section. And then the more premium option is Uh, where I essentially write it from scratch. I do, I send out a detailed questionnaire. I take any previous documents that you have, but essentially rebuild it as opposed to edit. So I like to start from scratch. I use one of my template designs of your choice, and that uh, is usually what guides the, the final product. And we go back and forth with a couple resume revision edits. And yeah, that's the more, you know, if you want nothing to do with writing your resume, then that's the option. But if you just kind of need some guidance and you're not sure where to start, the majority of people um, do really, really well with the templates.
1: Looks, looks like you found two buyers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we need an update, man. I mean, me personally, I would go proud to premium, just so <laughs> it seems like you would do majority of the work for me. And I don't like doing do resumes. I probably... Role a resume. I went to a resume course one time in college, basically stole their template and just did it, whatever, whatever they did except with my information. And then I haven't really updated it because when I came out of nursing school, I was pretty lucky. I got a job right off the bat. So, you know, they didn't really, <laughs> my unit has a lot of turnover rate. So like, I understand why they really didn't, didn't pay attention much to my resume. First of all, I was a new grad, so it's all pretty much standardized. I didn't do much extra collector stuff because I worked full time, but they were so need of nurses where basically you showed up you basically got the job. So y'all lucky there. Interesting.
2: That's good.
1: If you were to outline a resume of what it should consist of, what would that be?
2: Yeah, so it should have your name and your demographics and your credentials. So if you're already a nurse, you would you know put RN after your name. If you're still in school, you can put a little subheader that says registered nurse candidate or whatever is applicable to you. I like to include a professional summary or profile at the top. It's just a few sentences, like a short paragraph that talks about your interests, your value that you bring um, and is personalized to the position that you're applying to. It's kind of like an elevator pitch or a highlight reel or words that I call that. And then it should include your education. So what school you went to when you graduated and if you are just getting out of school, you can include your clinical rotations there, you can include the details and the number of hours if you'd like. Some people decide to leave that off, which I think is totally fine because clinicals are pretty standardized these days. But let's say you don't have any work history and you don't have anything else to fill up the space, then I'd say definitely include your clinicals. Um, you want to include your license and your certification information. So your nursing license, if you have any, you know, you probably have CPR certifications. If you have any additional nursing certifications, include those, and then go into your work history. You can decide to write out some bullet points under each position if you have some previous skills that you learned at a previous job that you want to highlight, and then you can also include any community service or professional advocacy, volunteerism, mission trips, that type of thing, any of those extracurriculars I find really highlight you as an applicant because they show that you have an interest beyond just working. And it shows a little bit more about your character. If it shows that you have volunteered or, you know, are taking some sort of leadership role in your profession or even in a hobby, you know, if you're involved in a place of worship, and you volunteer there, or you have a leadership position somewhere, those are all things that can really um, tell more of your story. and ultimately that's the point of the resume is to tell your story so that someone is interested enough to call you on the phone and give you an interview. Mm-hmm. And then that's the purpose of the resume. It doesn't get you the job, it gets you the interview, and then the interview is what gets you the job, in my opinion.
0: Is there like an ideal page length length? Because I was always told one page, everything should be on one page, and if you want, do a cover letter. And I've like interviewed a few like upcoming nurses that we were going to hire and a few times there was like, they came up with like a four page resume. And I thought that, that was too much. I like the one page, but is it like a standard or preferred amount of pages?
2: Yeah, so I don't have a hard and fast rule about it. I'll say that most new grad nurses and even most nurses within their first five years or so should be able to fit everything on a single page. That said, if you have really high quality experience, if you're involved in a lot of different activities, professional things, and everything that you're including has earned its space on the page, then by all means go on to a second page. Um, But unless you're preparing an academic... CV which is which includes publications and presentations and all that other academic type stuff uh, you really shouldn't have to go beyond two pages I've been an NP for 10 years and um, a nurse a year and a half longer than that and I just have a two page yeah
0: pencil. I don't know how this new this new nurse out of school busted out a four-page resume like I, I didn't read past the second page I'm just like what is she gonna, gonna tell me like it all volunteer stuff like I didn't try and read all this so when you I'm just now I'm curious. So when you interviewed her, did the four pages match up to the person that she was? Um, I mean she was great. We ended up hiring I don't know if it was a him or her, I forgot the name, but we ended up we ended up hiring that, that person. But I like I said, I didn't look at much of much of the resume. It's more of like if I'm interviewing her, the resume I can look at whenever, you know, it's more of like what what she has to offer, like kind of her experience. I didn't really look even it matched up what she had on paper. I was I was just going for personality at that point.
1: Is is there a specific uh Let's just say character traits. Because I feel like part of my resume I have like these character traits that I include, like teamwork, Bummer. highly organized, and you know, I'm like a team player and all that. Is there something that you recommend always putting on a nursing resume?
2: So I think that it is good to include those things. Uh, and I would choose your best, your best things. And obviously, the ones that are true, <laughs> like you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to put teamwork or detail-oriented if you weren't those things. Um, I, I classify those as soft skills. Um, so hard skills would be more procedural-type skills, things that you know, critical care-type skills if you guys work in ICU, that type of thing. Um, but soft skills, I think, are great to include. I usually put them in that professional summary section. So I usually. Choose two or three and use them as descriptors. So I might start off the summary saying um, highly dependable, detail-oriented um, registered nurse who thrives in you know interprofessional care delivery, seeking to transition to the emergency department. I, I know that wouldn't be true, but <laughs> <laughs> you know something like that. Um, so that's usually a good place to include um, those soft skill qualities.
1: Have you dealt with any travel nurses at all?
2: Um, in terms of clients?
1: Clients or creating resumes. Because me and Peter are planning on doing travel nursing in the next month. Is there anything specific that you want on a resume if you're applying for a new agency that it should be as a travel nurse with a resume?
2: Yes. So I actually have a travel nurse resume kit that I collaborated with another travel nurse who teaches nurses how to be travel nurses. So she and I have joined forces and we have a training and a template specifically for that. And what's different about travel nurse resumes is you cut out all the fluff, essentially. Not that, not that regular resumes have a lot of fluff, but the formatting, um, basically the recruiter is looking for certain touch points and you can format a travel nurse resume so that Those things are front and center. So it means using like a table format rather than bullet points or a paragraph so that they can see, you know, your previous experience, your typical uh, nurse to patient ratio, your availability, your shift requests, those types of logistical things that travel nurse recruiters are looking for that aren't as applicable when you're looking for traditional staff employment.
0: Interesting.
1: I I would be... um... What am I even trying that out The kit builder? What is uh, your, like your current obsession that you're currently doing? Something that you're really enjoying in your free time with, you know, the change of COVID and all that.
2: Yeah. So I'm really uh, trying to create space, like just create space that I'm working with a life coach and she does some energy work as well. And it May seem a little bit woo woo, but I'm totally it. In, into it. I love it. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've talked about what's missing in my life right now, and it's really space. You know, I have, I wake up very early with, uh, you know, a baby who's ready to eat, and usually the day goes till very late until I, you know, put the kids back to bed. And by the end, I just feel very tired and worn out, and like I haven't had re energizing space throughout the day for myself. So I'm currently, you know, trying to fit in short bursts of journaling, meditation, um, just quiet time so that I can recharge because I find that to be so rejuvenating to me and my energy so that I can really um, show up better and feel less drained at the end of the day. I find that there are many activities Especially parenting activities that, while I love them, they drain my energy, and and that's just that's just how it is, and that's okay. But if I know that, then it means that I need to take time to find energy giving activities to complement that. So that's what I'm currently obsessed with and focusing on in my spare time.
1: And if and you notice a difference,
2: yeah, definitely. I I notice a big difference. I in particular with my creativity, and I really feel as though staying busy all the time can really stifle our creativity. So I'll notice, you know, just in a period of quiet time, or if I take, you know, a shower that's downstairs away from the rest of the family, and I kind of have some quiet time before and after, I have to keep a notebook nearby because I just have all these ideas that start flowing and I have to write them down. And, you know, I made an interesting observation this past week because with with 2020 and not going anywhere, um, there's been less time in the car. So I've noticed that when I do get time in the car, it feels like that space that I've been craving. And I feel like a lot of us aren't having those, a lot of us who aren't going to work every day, aren't getting that transition time. And I think in that transition time is when we you know, go from one activity to the next. And when we have time to kind of compartmentalize the previous part of our day and prepare for the next part of our day. You know, that commute is really valuable. And, you know, I'm one of those people who's now working from home, essentially, as is my husband and a lot of other people that I know. And I, I've noticed that the lack of commute or the lack of transition time from one activity to the next has really kind of stifled creativity and been kind of suffocating. So I've been trying to be more aware of how valuable it is to take time as we go from one activity to the next.
1: I love that. I don't think I've heard anybody say that a commute is available. You always hear, I hate my commute. There's road rage. And, you know, um, there's there's two types of people in the world, I guess we can say. Now, right, there's the people that are always rushing to get to the next task, right? And they're road raging. And then there's people like you and, you know, other people that are taking time during this commute to reflect, and just like you say, carpet, um, compartmentalize and prepare for the next activity. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. it's like a form of meditation almost. Yeah.
2: Yes, absolutely, and that's that's really what I was thinking about. And you know, before I stopped working clinically, you know, in the past year, I worked overnights, um, so I really felt like that that commute time for me was about thirty minutes, and it was. You know, it was a transition time, it was a meditation time, and I was really, truly preparing for, you know, when I finished a shift, I was, you know, closing that book of that shift that I had, putting everything away, and preparing myself mentally to go home and to sleep, you know, because I would go home, I would, you know, eat a little something, say hi to my family, and then I'd go to bed, um, so it was kind of a wind a wind down time. And I, yeah, I think that comparing it to meditation is really, you know, it's a, one of the only times in our day that we're not doing something else. We're not, you know, attached to our devices and, you know, I would listen to a podcast or listen to music, but that was pretty much the only thing that I was doing. And my mind just had that space to, you know, transition to the, to the next thing.
0: Yeah. Cause me and Matt have been doing like the whole mindfulness a meditative journey for like a few years now, like probably like at least three and i used to meditate in a sauna back when saunas were some of the people we used to go to um <laughs> but now i just do it at home or even like like while i'm stretching before the gym and just all, like all positive things like there's, nothing, there's nothing like a you can't have like a bad meditation day or bad med- meditative period you know it's all it's all good things
1: i think i think that's something we try to do to everybody and mm-hmm. hopefully the people that are listening started meditating i hope so because it's that- all damn time. Yeah, mm-hmm. every, literally every single guest that we have on, we always like to touch up on the subject because it brings peace and happiness to a lot of people. Joy, mm-hmm. you're finding clarity, we do. And I think more and more people need to find time for themselves. Just like you say, you know, during this transition of 2020, whatever it is, we're becoming, we're commuting, you know, commuting less, we're working more remote, and people need to find that disconnect because mm-hmm. they're always in that same stimulus of, um,
0: of environment. Mm-hmm. You have any yeah, questions for us, Amanda?
2: Sorry, say that again.
0: You have any questions for us?
2: Oh, um, I'm spa- and he's seat. She's like, oh like,
0: <laughs> yeah. <over> <laughs> <Well, no. laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, no, if you if you guys have been doing meditation for a while, um, I would just love to know how to how to get to that place where the thoughts just don't invade all the time. That's what's so frustrating is. You know, is is that the point? Are we supposed to like hear the thoughts and then push them away, or do you eventually get to a point where it's actual stillness for the whole time?
0: Um, what I've noticed is um, I'm not sure how you've long you've been doing it, but definitely consistency is probably the biggest thing. But it's rarely that I'm able to have complete silence in my in my head. It's usually narrowing it down to just like one voice. It's usually, usually what, what happens with me. But there's a few times where it's complete silence. It's like silence, and it's like almost like you're in a trance and just like darkness, like. Not, not like a bad darkness, but it just, it's just like, like, like blank, you know, and it's pretty calming. Sometimes I, sometimes I would see like just like this little ball of light and I would kind of like, like chase it with, with my mind and I just silence and that was very relaxing. But most of the time it's just condensing all those voices in, into one voice. And that's like yourself speaking to you basically is, is what I see it as.
1: Yeah, the, the way I kind of see it is if you try to empty it so much, sometimes you're so focused on it. And you're judging yourself. You're judging that thought. And the point of meditation is also is to not be judgmental and let it flow. Correct. So as you have that thought come in, just accept it for what it is, but let go of it. Don't judge it for what it is and just continue meditating. And sometimes when I finished a meditation, I'll kind of like reflect on maybe what I was thinking. And I'm like, you know what, Matt, you keep thinking about damn, that damn thing it must've really bothered you last week or whatever the case might be. And sometimes you use meditation of a way to think as well. Right. And you kind of solve your own problems in a way too. So, and just like you say, consistency, it's like a muscle correct and it keeps getting better. And where I found like the had like, I guess the most best experience was when I did like a guided meditation specifically it was a chakra one or if you're familiar with chakras, Mm-hmm. So it's like the seven energy centers. And as I was being guided to go through all seven with them, I had this um, sensation of just, I don't know what it was. it was. My nervous system was just firing. And I just had like this ru- head rush going down my whole body. And I actually freaked out the first time I did it. So I like, you know, like opened my eyes. But sometimes I'll get to that point and it's like bliss. It's, it's interesting. That's my experience so far with it. Good
0: experience.
2: That's cool. I've been work to strive for yeah
0: <laughs> uh, where can people find you at? Do you have Instagram website
2: Oh yeah, yes, um so I'm on Instagram at the resume r x mm-hmm. and uh, web address the resume RX.com. Those are the best places to get a hold of me.
1: And I know if people are looking forward to getting the resume done ASAP, I know you do some personal calls correct, and you could kind of hop on a call with somebody and you could help them out with the resume
2: Yes.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Amanda, for being on. Anything you want to add on, PD? No, but I'm probably going to need to do my resume, so maybe we'll probably be in touch in the next few months. <laughs> you
2: know? I'll be here. Probably,
0: like I said, probably a premium package, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, Amanda, thank you for being on.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me, Take guys. Care. I appreciate it. Bye.